James, I want to jump straight straight right into it and talk about the two recent posts on Data Collada. And these posts are part of a four-part series which are talking about or discussing uh, evidence of fraud in four academic papers co-authored by a Harvard Business School professor. Let's start by talking about the first post here. Um, And I'll give a bit of introduction of what happened. About two years ago, uh, Data Collada uh, posted a report on fabrication in a paper supervised by Dan Ariely. And this was in study three of the paper in particular. Now, it turns out that data from study one in the same paper was tampered by a different person. And when I originally read the blog post explaining that, my jaw dropped. And it seemed that at exactly the same point of the blog, everyone else's jaw dropped as well. Because I think when looking at the responses to this online, this was the most common response that within a single paper, there was evidence of fraud by two different authors for two different parts of the paper. Well, two different different parties, uh, Dan. Um, I mean, technically. So, and also, you know, uh, it's it's significant in the first place if someone goes around going, this is fraud. Generally, we don't talk like that because no. life, is, life is very irritating. And the one thing that scientists are very good at that everyone else is very bad at is the management of uncertainty. And when mm. it comes to something like this, it, it, it behooves us. We are behooved to be very precise. Um, it's only situations where you can look at honest to Christ manipulation patterns in the data itself where the data is accessible somehow or you have uh, direct reports of some kind of malfeasance where you get to use Mm. what I call the F word, which isn't fuck. Um, (laughs) It could be be fraud or fabrication, depending depending on how you understand it. So... The, the definitions of these can be remarkably fluid at times as well. Uh, it's, it's, it's very interesting. Um, actually, uh, out-and-out fraud shares more in common with utter screw-ups than a lot of fabrication does because a lot of fabrication implies intent. Out-and-out um, out fraud, like this thing is invented or this data set is doubled, but that shit can be a copy-and-paste error, right? If you're making something up from scratch, it means that something shouldn't be in a data set. And if something shouldn't be in a data set, there's actually a lot of ways it can end up in the data set. Um, So all all sorts of things can happen. But if there's evidence of something being falsified, um, sorry, I'm getting the the terms confused myself here. This is why it's annoying. (laughs) Um, Suffice to say, naughtiness goes into the FFP bucket. Let me me start this again. Fraud, falsification. Plagiarism. Now, everyone knows what plagiarism is. We don't need to talk about it. Fraud is making stuff up. Falsification is taking real data and directly engineering something within it. And by directly engineering, I mean the sort of like a a knowing alteration designed to produce a change, right? So technically, I don't think fraud is the right word for this. I think it's falsified because okay. uh, the evidence is that, uh, as far as I understand it, is that a lot of this data is real. 
Um, that may not be the case, but it seems that it is. A lot of the data is real and it has been analyzed in such a way that the uh, elements of it have been changed. So it has been, it's more true to say that it's falsified than it's fraud. The problem with fraud is that fraud is also a broader, uh, well, I think, oh shit, is it a noun? Jesus, that's where my brain's at today. What kind of word is that? I'm not sure. I've forgotten how to talk, even though I come here and talk, sometimes even for money. Yeah, of course it's a noun. What's wrong with me? Um, sorry, I knocked you off your axis completely there. Far be it for me to what? interrupt you, Daniel, something I've never done before. <laughs> never. Never. This particular, pa- this, this particular paper um, – it was actually a paper on, dishon- on dishonesty, and this was testing the hypothesis that people are less likely to act in a dishonest way if they sign some sort of honesty pledge at the top of the form rather than the bottom. And this was tested across three different studies. And this particular data, because there was a replication attempt or as part of the replication attempt, the raw data from the original study was posted on Open Science Framework. And this was posted as an Excel file. And Excel files have some very interesting properties that not many people know about. It's not just a single file. It is a zipped file, James. And tell me, James, what is in this zipped file of an Excel file? Okay, so because Word is one of those programs that tries to presuppose people doing stupid shit. Um, <laughs> sorry, Microsoft Microsoft Suite programs in general are. Uh, so what they do is they are basically a, a bundled series of version-controlled files. And... What's really interesting about this is, and some people may have noticed this previously, if you've got a very large spreadsheet and you add things to it over time and you change stuff and you remove columns and you recode things and you move it around, sometimes uh, the the sharper-eyed of you would have noticed that sometimes that file is much larger than it needs to be. And if you just cut and paste the data out of that into a sheet and immediately close the new file, you'll notice that the file sometimes is a multiple smaller Now, uh, there is a, I think Microsoft provided function called uh, calcchain.xml. And what calcchain does is it shows you the order that operations were performed in something that looks a lot like Visual Basic code. And you can use this tool basically to see how a spreadsheet has been changed over time. Now, obviously, this is something that I knew about. This is something that I've used before. I've never found anything good with it. Um, I find the output to be uh, kind of archaic and annoying, but it's it's great because anything that opens up a new possibility to investigate a data set is a good thing. So in general... If you do forensic meta-science, you want your toolkit to be as wide as possible. So something like this is what you have to know about. And notice, I think the response has been 99% outrage, 1% isn't that method interesting. And I would say that that's reasonably typical. Uh, I I might wish it the other way around, but suffice to say, uh, it isn't. Um, I was far more interested in the use of calc chain than uh, trying to run someone out of town 
covered in tar and feathers in a situation like this. So using calc chain and popping this Excel file open, you get a series of changes that have been made to the order of the individual calculations, and you can use them to basically reconstruct what a saved data set used to be in an Excel file. And if you do this- Like version control. Yeah, but because so what they want to be able to happen is for you to do a bunch of work and then close the file. And then your boss calls you up and go, no, I like the one from two versions ago. You're like, but motherfucker, I just did the one that you said. And now you changed your mind. You want me to go back? And files presuppose the ability for you to go back. I mean, I think people are more aware of this in Google Documents. I think the, the function is much better publicized well, in Google Documents um, because obviously it is seen as a collaborative platform where if you don't have version control, you're fucking dead, right? Um, so in any way, if you, if you do that on this paper, what happens is very, very interesting. And basically what, what it's, what it's revealing in this particular case is that there are irregularities in the way that the data have been moved around and points that are in the individual data sets are that have been moved or changed correspond directly with the very, very high leverage points that drive the effect in the first place. Now, without going back and reading it again, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head if this is what we call rebadging, which is where you take, say, say you're trying to prove that A is bigger than B and there's some particularly big values in group B. You just change the designation quietly to A and obviously that's going to juice the effect up. You could kill the points completely, of course. There's the possibility of doing that. You could just go, those are outliers, and kill them. Or you could change the group designation. Um, or if you had to keep something consistent over time, you could swap the labels. So obviously swapping is very, very powerful if we're comparing A versus B. And you take a very small value of A and a very big value of B, and you switch the labels. If you do that a couple of times, um, it produces an extraordinarily large change in effect sizes. Now, you will probably probably not be surprised to hear, Daniel, that I have a two-thirds finished manuscript comparing the power of all these different falsification methods and exactly uh, exactly how much work, how many changes need to be made able to do this because there will be a relationship between the distribution of the data because some some data is far more likely to have uh, outliers than others it depends on the the shape and nature of the distribution um, the sample size uh, and the desired eventual effect and all of those go together to make a landscape where some some things are more effective than others when it comes to changing them it's a very dry and boring manuscript and it's not my job anymore, so I didn't finish it. But what is being described here is very, very similar to, um, if not identical, to things that I've outlined in that paper, which I really feel like now I should finish because I've got something else to cite on it. Um, you might remember a few years ago, the reason that I started writing this 
um, was there was a paper by uh, researchers from Ohio State. Um, and the paper was from about 2012. And there was a tremendous fusser of a very long period of time uh, where uh, Pat Markey and Malta Elson were working on this data set because something something quite unpleasant had uh, something quite unpleasant happened to it. And my understanding video is video games when, violence thing. Yeah, eventually when they when they got original copies of the data, which I think they were sent by mistake. Um, <laughs> Um, I think they were said it by mistake during the explanation. The first author was called Whittaker. Um, they got the raw data and my, my, from memory, how I got interested in this is that the, the copy of the raw data files themselves showed evidence that uh, people had just been selectively removed until uh, the effect was eventually engineered. Although look, that's not... I am not 100% certain of that. That's not my perpetual Is that shown in CalcChain removals? Because I know CalcChain shows, shows yes. changes. And yes. So, CalcChain also shows removals. Yes. Okay. Yes, I do I do believe so. Um, eventually, because, I mean, people don't remember this. Was, it was, I don't know, maybe maybe four years ago, maybe more. Uh, it was definitely pre-plague. Um, they revoked the PhD of the first author of that oh, wow. OSU. Wow. Um, yet another author from the Ohio State University who did the dodgy and produced the bad science. Um, and that was how I got interested in the uh, the way in which the way in which that could uh, the way in which that could go wrong. Um, and I, I sort of started there and kept working on okay well if you do that what about this if you do that what about this etc 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 um eventually got it sort of mostly done um in a way that uh in a way that made me happy ish uh, it wasn't finished and then i just left it in a heap because be, because fuck you that's why <laughs> It just that there's this. I, I have so many things in the sort of graveyard of this, but I, I, you know, we we can't get uh, we can't get people to uh, fund work into this and to do a full blown, honest to god uh, teardown of how something like this would work. I mean, maybe it's of minor interest, but it's of no professional interest to me whatsoever. And I can do small stuff, maybe some medium stuff, but I just don't have the time to do a full paper that is really like running. Because when you do that, of course, the code needs to be available, the methods need to be clean, everything that you've used needs to be public. Well, there's no point doing it in the first place because someone's immediately going to ask for it because they want to use it. Like I said, everyone wants to have all the tools all the time. And it's a good thing that they want that. So... Suffice to say, I was when when that when I saw the first figure in this data collada article, I went, I knew that. <laughs> it is, it is Quietly to myself, not with any particular sense of pleasure, but just sort of, you know, oh, well, I mean, yeah, I guess that's it's how you quite, do it. They, they actually found this, they took a closer look at this because some of the values were suspicious. There was, there was a certain order to participant IDs, a few gaps in IDs, which happens in research, but yes, then a few of the really number, a few, 
it really does happen. But then a few of the participant IDs were outside of numerical order. And then those particular IDs were the ones that were very extreme. And they all happened to go in the same predicted direction, which then led to the additional look of have these things been moved around, which was when, which was when uh, CalcChain came into play. But of course, when this sort of stuff comes up, it makes you think, we, these people only found this because the data was open and because it was an Excel spreadsheet and because there was sloppiness in the fraud. <laughs> um, and it makes you think, one. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's super casual. Like this is not, it's not quite starple dumb where you just make up so much of it over a period of time that eventually the wheels come flying off the wagon. And you can't point to anything because there's nothing to point to. It's just like wholesale fabrication from scratch. Um, it's not quite like that, but I mean, exactly the same thing happened with all the Pruitt papers that were retracted. Um, and that case has been going on for some years now until relatively recently is that people were, it's quite normal in ecology to uh, post public data sets. And People were pulling down the Excel files and reinspecting the the data. Uh, irregularities were detected sufficient that the journals made the decision to bust them papers, and exactly the same thing happened. I mean, it, it gives you a tremendous sense that in the eyes of these people, there really is no one looking. Um, or they'd never do it. I mean, th- think about how basic it would need to be to take that file and rather than save it as an Excel file, save it as a CSV. Yeah, that's all you need to do. <laughs> yeah, or copy it, copy and paste it with tabs um, into, a, uh, uh, into, into a notepad document or put the entire thing in like literally any other format it's because people, people don't know about stuff like this. And well, it's, it's just, it, it, it's, well, the, it, we live in a very small world, Daniel. It's a very big world of science, Malone. Uh, and many, many, many unconnected people are simultaneously fiddling stuff in isolation. <laughs> they don't have big meetings called the seventh annual making shit up conference. Well, yeah. so I actually predicted um, that there would be a massive influx of changes of Excel files into CSV files on OSF. And directly after the day this came out. And um, this, this caught the attention of uh, Uncle Brian and he had a look and he actually noticed that there wasn't actually much change. So the people, the people that came out to say, oh yeah, that, that there's going to be people changing files. This, this didn't actually eventually. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be looking on OSF um, if you really thought, I mean, you can obviously, you, that's a nice pre-registered prediction. The changes in these will be higher than usual. But honestly, I mean, in a sense where you think that uh, bad researchers might get the impression that no one's looking, uh, I promise you I don't think anyone's looking closely enough uh, to be able to do that. But I would be looking on Figshare or Zenodo rather than OSF. Why? OSF ha- because OSF has an identity and a culture and a certain uh, certain people that it attracts, doesn't yeah. it? Um, and it doesn't, it, it doesn't really have the same uh, pickup within certain fields. Um, 
Which is not, it's not like it doesn't serve others, but I mean, it, it, it obviously had, I mean, given where it came from, a social science focus. Um, and the, the awareness of this in the social science is, I think, distinctly higher than some of the other non-biological sciences. So I don't think it's the best place to look. But at the same time, I mean, it's not an investigation you can systematically conduct. Hmm. It could, it could, it could be anything, honestly. And I, you need to see the actual measurement for something like that. It's always worth being skeptical. Um, it's very bad. I mean, this is a more general point that it's very bad in general to have idle speculation about people being collectively dodgy. These are big accusations that affect people's lives. They should, like the investigation, as much as you yourself do not need to be serious and thank fuck for that or I'd be stuffed, right? Um, the investigation itself needs to be conducted seriously and it needs to be disseminated seriously. I don't have a lot of time for idle speculation about, oh, I'm sure it's dodgy. Um, I mean, it may be, sure, but if you're in the business of finding out and telling people, uh, I'd feel like you're better off sticking to the process. I'm not really interested in uh, sort of blanket denouncements of things. Uh if, if they're done seriously enough, I mean, they've earned the right to, to uh, <laughs> have the have the legs pulled off them on an individual basis. <laughs> but I think that's why this is this has taken off quite a fair bit online. Is that it is so black and white that this is a thing, particularly using calculus. Oh, I, th- I think it's I think it's I think it's the irony. Well, yeah, of course. That I, the irony. Honest, so, dishonesty sorry, research sorry, is dishonest. Two, no, it's a paper that's literally on dishonesty by very well-known people. It has three independent experiments, and two of them are independently, provably bad, bad and bad, bad in the in the strictest sense. What we're talking about, they they show reasonably uncontrovertible, incontrovertible, incontrovertible. <laughs> um, signs of the data being manipulated. It's almost as if you, we were filming them as, as, as they were doing it. It's almost as if a hack wrote this because of the writer's strike in the US, man. <laughs> I mean, it, it's just like I, you can't you can't overlook something like that. You know, it's, it's like it's like it's like someone in, in it's like someone in Greenpeace like crashing their boat into an oil tanker or something. You go, <laughs> okay, how weird is how weird is life sometimes? You know? Or, or someone, uh, someone who's in great support of fracking, drinking a glass of hydrocarbons, and then dying horribly. I mean, is is this is, it's it's crazy. There is that it's, element. It's crazy. It's a. It's it's just the most insane place to have this happen in this specific research. There's a. Uh, there's a lot more you could say about that, but I think you, you're going to get a lot of pickup when your dishonesty research is dishonest. I, I, I can't, I can't see that not becoming a popular topic of conversation. I think that's what's driving it. I don't think there's a, any particular animus here. No, no, no animus. It's, I don't think, just, but it's it's just such a it's just such a crazy thing to happen. And like many other situations here, this has had consequences in that a lot of people have tried to replicate these initial results and there was a good example of a study done in in guatemala hello to the guatemala hertz i know there's a few of you out there i've seen the data oh, probably my fantastic. family fantastic 
It's probably yeah. my family. <laughs> it's probably your cousins or something. Probably my cousins. Um, and they tested this intervention in, in um, this is one of those, it's, it's like almost like a typical Scandinavian study. Let's test it in the entire population. So they tested it on how Guatemalans reported their taxes. And they did a manipulation where they were shown a or asked to sign some honesty pledge either at the beginning or the end of the form where they were reporting taxes. Three million data points. When you have three million data points and an experimental manipulation, Oof. you can detect pretty small effect sizes. Mm. Yeah. But yeah. they did not. They did not detect. Um, it, they, they reported essentially a null effect with 3 million data points. And I'm sure the same sort of stuff has been done. This sort of stuff is very popular when it comes to government policy. Taxes makes a very good um, very good de- demonstration of this sort of thing where you can apply this, where you're reporting something. And I'm sure this has happened a lot of times, all the way from governments down to PhD students trying to replicate this. Oh, and yeah. They- well, I mean, the, the, the British government, um, and I'd say government, but it's more sort of a uh, loosely affiliated series of chickens and weasels <laughs> all running in perpetual circles and damaging each other. Uh, they had a nudge unit for a while. They took this uh, particular flavor of behavioral science sufficiently seriously to think about what what tiny changes can we make that will uh, improve people's lives and save the government money, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I don't have a strong recollection of how well it did, but I, I imagine that the practical output of said unit was what in Australia is referred to as sweet fuck all. <laughs> because, you know, one one experiment with 100 people on MTurk doth not public policy make. Always, co- always come back to this. Misquoting. Is that Churchill? Is it Shakespeare? There's some yeah, old dead white fuck. I don't know. It always brings me back to this, this really interesting paper that was that came out uh, around COVID on how do we actually move, how do we use behavioral science to impact on public policy? And so many times, based on the results of some undergrad study in 100 undergrads from Harvard, we're making big policy pronouncements when there's a number of steps you need to take to actually make make this a good good policy. And they, they use NASA as as an example of how NASA actually goes from, I have some crazy idea, I'm going to get someone on the moon, to actually getting someone on the moon. And it was a, like a nine-step process. Really, really good paper. I'll, um, I'll, I'll, I'll link to that one. And I always think about that, that we always jump the gun. And a lot of this, I think, comes down to this idea. This isn't like a health intervention or like many health interventions where a lot of people look at this going, well, if this doesn't work, there's a lot of potential side effects people can get hurt. So, for this kind of stuff, well, how can someone get hurt if they're just changing the order of when something is presented in a form? Yeah. So, I think- It's much much more similar to uh, digital companies A-B testing stuff, you know? You ask the website to show you some elements, you change what boxes they're in and what speed it loads at and how they're presented and- in general, if you want to buy a pair of shoes, you'll get to buy a pair of shoes. In general, if you want one-click checkout, it will work and it'll click and everything will be, everything will behave itself. But yeah, you're you're uh, you're still offering the same thing. You're just changing the workflow and incentives and associations within the thing itself. So, you know, uh, easy easy intervention compared to some other things. It's it's not like let's mandate all the surgeons to only use the uh, gastric lap band rather than the 
the uh, the bypass one where they actually cut your stomach out. And, okay, wow. Okay, that's a that's an enormous thing to say, and I don't know if they'll all agree. And the evidence is mixed, and some of them work for some people and not others. And we end up, of course, in a, a very serious appraisal of the evidence. But you know, sign the thingy before you start the other thingy is pretty easy to hand out like skittles. Uh, but, I mean, I think there's a long history of these sort of cheap, flashy ideas just eating their own teeth. Yeah, it it often is. And I, I think there is a continuum between these things that eventually make it into the sort of shinier end of public policy. Uh, the, the things that end up in press conferences, the things that end up on campaign leaflets, you know, dog shit, basically. Chum. Um, I think there's a connection between that and the sort of people who, who wish to push these uh, these kinds of research agendas. And I think you can probably imagine what I think of it without me losing my mind. And I do not have the energy to lose my mind because we have two new kittens and they are work. Two kittens. <laughs> what, what are your kids' names? Well, I got a gingy one here who I chose, and his name is Toast. And my wife got a tiger kitten as well. She has all these lovely sort of spots. She looks like an ocelot, and her name is Tuppence. <laughs> but I call them Hey You and Stop That and Bastard right now because they're still learning. Uh, they're still learning regular cat behaviors. So, as any behaviorist will tell you, that makes you their sort of proxy mother. I am the mother now in this particular room that I'm sitting in and they need to be taught uh, elements of how to eat and how to interact and how to take a shit and uh, a a whole bunch of stuff. And it's a process. Um, They'll go through it much quicker than kids will, but there is some sort of vague equivalence and the fact that there will be a frustrating series of uh, activities taking place over time to do really basic stuff that will eventually be replaced with something approximating peace, but we're nowhere near that yet. There's a lot more of this. Um, Cats, I understand very well, Dan. Science, not so much. (laughs) They're both, happily, they're both sleeping right now. And um, if they aren't just the cutest little shits around, then uh, you you don't know what's up. Hopefully, we'll get some video of them. Yeah, we'll I have to put some of those. <laughs> all the all the fresh cat content exclusively on Patreon. Yeah. yeah just the- <laughs> <laughs> oh, I could never keep you, Toast. He's sitting right here next to me. He's, he's asleep on an old cushion cover. Um, people buy too much dumb shit for cats, and they really don't care. Um, it's really not important most of the time. And I realized this when um, I was putting the litter trays out and um, toast shit on the floor. And it was immediately obvious that we had the wrong type of litter um, and the litter tray was like the configuration was wrong. So I changed it and uh, 12 hours later, he's actually doing it right. But he's using an old garden planter right now. (laughs) (laughs) But it works. 
but it works. You have to put yourself in the mind of a juvenile cat with about three functioning brain cells and then think about how the pieces fit together. So I taught him how to dig and now he knows how to take a shit without ruining his life. Look at you, cat cat mother. Yeah, I make a pretty okay mom. I think the reason for that is that it doesn't last in general. You have to do everything once. Yeah. Um, I think if it was a matter of continually maining, maintaining the moral backbone of a five-year-old just after the first six weeks would be eating ice cream, drinking whiskey, and throwing rocks at cars, I just see the wheels coming off that wagon completely. But cats are more straightforward because uh, the training period is a lot shorter. They're smarter than they let on. They just don't care what you want. <laughs> <laughs> so... This We've is, almost got uh, a de facto cat. The, the neighbor's got a kitten and um, it hangs out in our backyard. Sometimes we'll be sitting there in the living room and a cat, <laughs> a cat will just walk in. It's great. Yeah. Kids love yeah. it. Yeah, I'm, sh- I'm sure they do. It's a nice part as well. It's a, the, you know, at the end of the day, you are like the responsibility is no. done. And just you, pick, the, you, pick, pick the cat up and put it outside and it finds its way home. It's great. Yep. Yep. And, uh, and, is, and, is, and is happy to. He's perfectly capable of walking around the neighborhood and having a good time. Yeah. Rather than uh, everything cats, C-A-T-Z, <laughs> the podcast, uh, do you want to talk about the second Collado blog post? Yeah. So, this, this came out a day or two ago, and this was uh, focusing on one study, study four, within a different paper. And this was a study which presented five studies, look, um, which was suggesting that uh, the experience of inauthenticity leads people to feel more immoral and impure. So, you have some some typical priming stuff. This was an online survey by just under 500 Harvard students and they were asked to express an opinion about a campus issue and on top of that provide some demographic information. And they were also asked to write an essay about uh, about that issue that was either arguing for or against their own side. Um, and then after writing the essay, they had to rate, strangely, how desirable that they thought five cleansing products to be from either completely undesirable to completely desirable. Uh, as pa- <laughs> yeah, so this, this, is an, this is an interesting one. But what caught the eyes of the Dava Collada crew was part of this demographic information. So they were asked or participants were asked to um, write their year in school. So, I mean, there's a, there's a few sort of plausible responses to this you might say junior or the actual the actual year or, or or a number but for some reason a number of the responses the response was just harvard that was the response to the question and look I, i've seen a lot of questionnaires with this kind of stuff when there's open uh, open responses and you do get some you do get some strange responses from from, from time to time mm. but to get generally, this, they're quite stochastic, strange responses, aren't they, Dan? They are. They are. But in this case, there was a number of ones which the response was Harvard. The majority of these also seemed to bunch together. And that was a little bit unusual. So, much like the first blog post where an unusual pattern was detected, um, for this particular data set, they looked at this to see where were these particular data points located for when when they were doing the statistical analysis. And similar to the the other analysis, it seemed that many of these, not all of them, but many of these were part of the extreme responses. So, 
there wasn't any um, uh, metadata for this particular study. So it wasn't as convincing as the first blog post. It still is extremely strange, but it wasn't convincing. But still, when you look at the figure, you can actually see the differences or you can see exactly where these data points lie from the strange data sets. Like these are almost all of them are on the complete extremes of either seven or one on this seven to one scale there. Mm. Yeah. So which strongly implies that um, they were they were cut in from some other source. Um because you, you really wouldn't expect to uh, you really wouldn't expect to see that. Um, so basically the, the high predicted on a scale of one to seven on the cleaning products, the uh, high predicted had a raft of sevens, um, and, uh, ones and twos or thereabouts were, uh, the Harvard congruent one on the low predicted, um, giving it a, uh, a P value of 10 to the power of minus everything, I believe. So that's obviously a th- this is this is obviously a uh, a very concerning pattern. I'd say it's less distinct because you don't actually have the movement of it. I'd say it's less distinct than the first one in some important yeah. way, but it doesn't make it it doesn't make it really problematic uh, to make the claim that something very strange is going on. Um. Actually, things being left behind in a spreadsheet where there is just, uh, let's say, uh, extenuating circumstances to the claims being true. This happened in the OneSync case at some point. Um, there was a, a paper that he was responsible for writing up that was done by a research assistant who left and I think eventually we got a copy of it, and I think it was from her. And the paper described, I think, 8 to 10-year-olds, 8 to 11-year-olds, something like that. I think what Americans call when you start middle school or whatever the fuck that is. Yeah. <laughs> but for, for, for people from a is, regular country. Is this the cart horse child, James? No, no, it's not the cart horse child. Um, the cart horse child is something else entirely. Um, and in this, in this particular paper... Uh, the eight to ten year olds who are members of a, 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 a spreadsheet data set had all these notes that were attached to them. And they said things like, cried a lot during the intervention, asked for a nap, didn't want to sleep at nap time, mm. um, asked for both the Elmo sticker and the fuzzy toy. It was shit like that. Yeah. And any sane person who reads those would go, 10-year-olds don't do that shit. (laughs) 10-year-olds don't cry during nap time. One, because they don't. Two, because they don't have nap time. What's going on here? Turns out the data set was a a completely separate experiment. It was was falsified into how it was described in three to five-year-olds. Yeah, okay. Do have nap time, Right. And that shit was just in the spreadsheet. It's just in a column called comments. And the comments were clearly comments about children who were half the age of the reported sample. 
It is genuinely amazing when people are not careful and they wish to misrepresent something, what they leave behind. And this is just another example of it. It's less blatant than that one. But sorry, the the data, if you removed it, drives the effect entirely. Uh, All of those people just happen to be in a graduating class that they list as the university and not the year. Are these all the people who got into Harvard after having hit their head in a car accident? Don't you think it's weird, though? And why would they all be saying the same thing? It's such a strange, strange error. It's weird. Well, I think it's it's very likely that um, it's it's very likely that it's due to uh, it's due to some oversight. Because if you just look at that column at a glance, you think, "Oh, that can't that can't possibly be the case." There's something really strange going on. My class here is Harvard. Um, it's, I would imagine that I, I thought it was very interesting. And this is now we're really getting into the weeds of, uh, the, the, the sort of, uh, like the forensic stuff. This is really the, 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 the secrets that are going here, but I'll tell you something, open up a copy of Excel, right? And then set all the wits to what you need to put, uh, to put proper size, proper length description data in with a reasonable sort of zoom. And um, some of these columns are quite wide. I do wonder if column I was ignored because it was the first column that went off the side of the screen. If you set the width to about 200 and 50 pixels. I mean, I have a really wide monitor, so this isn't working for me. But if you had a 13-inch monitor and you had a reasonable width- If you had a small uh, monitor, maybe. width maybe. columns, maybe it's possible that this was a cut, cut, a cut, cut and paste error or something like that that just got repeated through a series of columns. And or it was Excel auto-populating and it wasn't noticed because the the column was irrelevant and the, and the individual- uh, columns themselves that are displayed only went up to G or H because uh, they um, they don't have the uh, they don't have the hard width uh, sorry they don't have the soft width columns on where there's a lot more text than is capable of being displayed in the individual cell and if you actually look at the uh, the way that it's displayed in the in the blog post, yeah, it has to fit the it has to fit the variable name. I mean, it, it, it so could very look, well be that's that. a that's a speculation, but that's this is what you come down to when you actually do this work. A lot of the time, this is what you come down to is like these these really interesting sort of details of how did that end up the way it is. Um, do you want to know something else? Fine. I'm about 90%. I'm not 100% sure. I'm about 90% sure of this. If this was published in 2015 in Psychological Science, it's possible that this was included in the data set of the original Grimm paper. Oh. And it wasn't capable of being addressed by that method in particular. 
And uh, I think it's likely that it wasn't possible here because the group sizes were over 100, if I remember correctly. I would have to check with Nick, but if it's 2015 and it's in psych science, I think it's pretty likely that we looked at it and couldn't find anything using that other method. Isn't that interesting? Of course, I've seen a number of calls like, what, why, why wasn't this called originally? Well, I think the original paper. Oh, but, come on, man. Well, I know, exactly. Everyone knows, a, everyone knows why, why it wasn't called originally. What do we but start? go on. Well, I mean. Go on. It, it, no, you it, say it. it. You say it. It wasn't. You say it. <laughs> it okay. First, the, the data wasn't submitted with the original paper, so the peer reviewers actually didn't have the opportunity to look at the data. The data only came later. Um, second, peer reviewers, their job isn't to, their remit isn't to find fraud either. Um, and three, even if it was, three, even if it was, um, they're not, they're not looking, they're not looking carefully for this stuff. Occasionally as my, as a role, as my role as an editor or just seeing other peer review reports, sometimes you do see, Hey, these values are really big. What is going on there? But that's the extent of what you get. You get the odd journal who, who are implementing stat check to go, your numbers don't add up. Please explain. I run stat check on papers that I tend to review just to go, hey, this seems wrong. And every almost every single time, the author get back to you, thank you for noticing this. Um, this was a typo and it's 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 usually explained and I, I have no sense of anything sketchy going on whatsoever. It's just simply a typo. Um, so yeah, I think, I think that's a bit silly to kind of say, why wasn't this picked up in peer review? Um, yeah. Yeah. Also- Apart from the fact that peer review is not for that, in what format would that actually happen? There's nothing specified. You'll be able to. So basically, you're 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 giving. You want to give peer reviewers the same sort of messy job that we are given. That's insane. You need to have a specified structure. You need to have a, a specified way that any given code base is run on any given data set. It needs to be like it needs to be outlined. And even if that was the case, you would you have the presence of mind to notice that there was a weirdly named variable and the variable just so happened to be driving the entire thing? No, I, this is not the sort of thing you catch in peer review. Honestly, this is the sort of thing that you catch when you take a close look at what is in the data using the sort of best experience and tools available to hand. This is not the sort of thing that you can just, well, if we just review everything a bit more, it'll all go away. <laughs> it won't. It won't. No, I mean, Jesus, we're already out here complaining about the fact that reviewers are overstretched, overworked. They're, they're coming in on things they don't want to be invited to. They've got too many invitations. People are knocking down their door to return all the, 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 the shit that they said they'd review previously, blah, blah, blah. It's all very, very challenging. You can't add become a forensic meta scientist on top of doing the work they don't have time to do that they're not paid to do. Look, every single time someone says, well, this should work differently in the context of this, it, it's, it, it behooves me. I've done a lot of behooving today because it's fun. 
Uh, also, we saw a funny cow yesterday, so I've got hooves on the brain. It behooves me to remind anyone complaining about this that these tools are all open source. Anyone will learn your help to use them, and you don't do fuck all. You're happy to leave this to other people, and many of whom don't really want to be doing it in the first place. It should be someone's job. In the way that, you know, producing behavioral science and complaining about it on the internet is presumably your job. So, you know, you don't like it, it should be caught. Well, if you think it should be caught, I'll give you a moral leg to stand on when you go out and catch someone, motherfucker. How or you fund studies? something that, that that allows people, not me anymore, someone with more energy and probably a better attitude, to be able to do the work on a systematic basis or set up a system by which it is handed out equitably. I think it's fair to make a point that there's an inequity to all of this, honestly, because it's fucking, it's stochastic. It's whatever turns up at any given point in time for whatever reason because of some shit, right? So you can't say, look, like, oh, so we do all this without fear, without fear or favor. No, it's whatever turns up at the time. It's as random as it can be. But if it's as random as it can be, it's driven by whatever the hell other processes we have uh, working in society at large. So, of course, it's, it's, it's just – it's like lightning striking, you know? I'm certain, Dan, at some point in time, someone sent me a really good thing to investigate and I either haven't had time or I've done it and there w I just didn't have the tools to be able to figure out something was going wrong and I've missed something absolutely psychotically problematic and it's just gone away because, you know, the output's allowed to be uh, – the, the output's uh, not allowed, sorry. The output of doing an investigation on a paper is not allowed to be bad or unfair. But the process by which the outputs are uh, sort of engendered to the world in the first place is not fair. It's just whatever the fuck turns up. And I don't think it's I don't think it's a problem to admit that, you know? Oh, we do it all without fear or favor. Bullshit. We do it all just on the basis of uh, what's available to be done. Yeah, if you want a if you want a better system, then you're gonna either you're gonna you're gonna have to do something else about it. You know, that isn't. We should do forensic metascience during peer review. Well, have you ever done that? Have you ever even tried to do that in not peer review? This is someone who's never written a letter to an editor in their life that they wouldn't enjoy reading, telling other people that they should be going out and finding something from a field that isn't even really developed yet. Well, that's all we have time for. Thanks for listening to this episode of Everything Hurts. We'll be back again soon with a new episode. Bye-bye. <laughs>